Welcome to Wild and Theology. My name is Will, and this is my good friend and co-host Kaylee. Hi. <laughs> Today we are going to be diving deep into the key to successful meditation. And uh, we're also going to end the podcast with an exercise you can do to start using that key. But before we get into that, here are our social medias. Okay, so we're on Instagram, at Wild and Theology, and Twitter, at Wild and Theology. Mm -hmm. Same picture. Yeah, you'll recognize this by our little blue man. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> you can contact us if you have questions, criticisms. We want to do Q&As in the future. Um, just to go deeper into anything we've talked about, clear up some inconsistencies, some misunderstandings, whatever there is. Mm -hmm. you know. So getting into the actual podcast, um, I don't think it's far off the mark to say that meditation is like one of the most important skills a human can master. Mm -hmm. When I consider like the times of my life where I've made the most progress in my mental health or just in general, it is when I've been meditating the most consistently for at least 30 minutes. Like that's a minimum for me. Mm -hmm. You can start like wherever you want, but personally I found 30 minutes at least. Yeah. Now this episode is going to go deeply into one of the benefits of meditation. But in brief, I think these two other benefits I see that are, are very common. And that is you get improved awareness and objective distance, mm -hmm. right? And it's like with awareness, you cannot solve a problem if you aren't aware of it. And meditation directly increases not only your, your, your own self-awareness, but just awareness in general, mm -hmm. right? And you are far more likely to act in a way that is beneficial if you are able to observe what you are now aware of from that objective distance with that bird's eye view. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Or do you think those yes. are like the two kind of... For sure. Um, yeah, awareness. Awareness of yourself, but awareness of everything. Yeah. And just, yeah, the objective distance you get. Mm -hmm. Yes, those are two very important things. But those aren't the ones we're focusing on, you said? They are part of it. Okay. I think those are kind of, yeah. those, those come up no matter what. But there's yeah. one specifically that I want to get into. Okay. But... Uh, yeah, those, those things, those are just any meditation. That, that's what it gives you. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. And it's like... And I was just thinking of like an example of like, what do we mean by self-awareness? Because I think that like oh, awareness, like you have more awareness, like mm -hmm. what does it actually mean? And it's mm -hmm. like, it makes you more aware of the way your mind tricks you, mm -hmm. right? And like uh, a, an example of this is, I was, I, I was, remember ranting one time about how people like need to take care of their bodies. And you have people who are like in their seventies or eighties who've taken care of their bodies their entire lives. And they've they have a good healthy body. Like they can still lift. Like you have, you see people lifting like 400 pounds when they're like 80 years old mm -hmm. and uh, able to walk and like move around and stuff like that. And genetics is a huge portion of that, but a lot of it, and probably I would say the majority of it comes from just like consistently taking care of your body. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm like going on this rant where it's just like, people need these skills. They need to learn this stuff in school. Like, why aren't we learning this stuff and how important it is? Uh, and then I took a sip of a monster energy drink. <laughs> I was like, wait a goddamn minute. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's my vice. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, it, it just goes to show that it's like, I can sit here and, and rant and I come up with these like really advanced, sophisticated, scientifically backed opinions about anything, 
but then in practice not follow that. Mm -hmm. And that's because of a lack of awareness where it's just like, I'm not in the moment that I'm choosing to buy a monster. I'm not being aware of the long-term consequences enough so that I would choose not to do that thing. Yeah. Exactly. And when you're young and you're healthy, you're like, ah, that's a monster. Like you don't feel it. No. You're just like, I'm fine. And you you do other healthy things. It's not like you're like also sitting on the couch and like eating an entire pizza and not working out. It's like you drank a monster, but you also meditated for 30 minutes and you're going to go bike for your job and you're just doing all, and you're eating your tofu and shit like, Mm -hmm. and shit. (laughs) (laughs) But the disdain in me talking about tofu. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love tofu. What am I talking about? Yeah. But I like, it's one of those things where it's an acquired taste. Yeah. 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 Um, um, what you're just saying too, an example of this might be controversial and you might not want to keep it in the podcast, but these days with people talking about the vaccine mm. being like, Oh, I don't know what it is though. Like I, I don't want to take, I don't want to put something in my body if I don't know what it is. And they're like mm-hmm. snort a line of cocaine or something. Yeah. yeah like exactly. do a bunch of, recreational drugs at parties and just like drink a lot of alcohol do you know what that is like do you know what you're putting in your body all the time do you like Mm. people pick and choose what they're um they're aware of yeah for sure and it's like that's fine yeah it's fine like if you want to snort some coke like go by all means like i'm not really into doing we don't advocate for that here we're talking about psychedelics yeah we're we're talking about medicine and cocaine is not a medicine plant medicine um (laughs) even though cocaine is a plant but yeah um (laughs) but basically like i I completely agree with you it's like Mm -hmm. you know you you can talk about all of these you you, you're just false skepticism it's Mm -hmm. skepticism about the things that you disagree with and you can come Mm -hmm. up with like elaborate arguments like i said about why you should be skeptical skeptical about this thing but then you don't apply that same skepticism to all your other beliefs yeah if you're going to be skeptical be be a communist and distribute it equally among all the things you believe (laughs) in right yeah and it's like and it doesn't matter like what you believe in just be be objective yeah. Be objective, be able to like apply that skepticism, apply that ability to reason through things to, to everything. And yeah. I know that's difficult. It's easier said than done. And like nobody has time to do that with everything. No. But at the very least, be aware of the yeah. fact that you're doing it. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the main thing of awareness. It's just like be aware of what you're doing. Be aware of the th- ways you deceive yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's at least a step along the path. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But when we're coming back to meditation, the most common meme that I see in regard to it is like you have like the super busy white Westerner just going crazy under the stresses of modern life. And then there's always this like bald dude walking by in a, in a stereotypical orange Shaolin robe with a thought bubble that's like completely blank. And he's yeah. like, oh, you need to chill out, man. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think this is one of the most damaging memes mm. because, well, not one of the most damaging memes, of course, but when it comes to meditation, <laughs> because... Ever. Yeah, ever of all time. Uh, when it comes to meditation, though, because like the issue that I hear most often when it comes to people quitting meditation or giving up or just deciding that it isn't for them is the simple statement, I couldn't stop thinking. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like we have this false idea because of the way that meditation is talked about is that if our minds are doing anything other than absolutely nothing, we're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. I think this can be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Like time and time again, 
I recommend meditation or see someone recommend it to another person and they're like, oh, I tried it. I couldn't stop thinking. I suck at it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the issue is that the first thing you learn while you're meditating is that no matter what you do, you cannot clear your mind. Mm -hmm. You learn that you cannot focus your mind for longer than a few seconds. Mm -hmm. What those memes are essentially doing is like giving people an advanced version of meditation and saying it's all as easy as counting your breaths. You can get, you can play like the most complex classical piece and it's all as easy as just playing a few keys. It's like, no, no, no. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more of a skill than that. The fundamental problem that meditation seeks to solve is that you simply cannot quit thinking. Mm -hmm. Whatever your method of meditation is, whether it's mindfulness, body scanning, focusing on the breath or some other sense, or qigong, tai chi, yoga, prayer, like any other technique you can think of, mm -hmm. what you first discover is that you cannot focus on what you're doing for longer than a few seconds. What I found in my own meditation practice is that the goal isn't to not think, it's to let go whenever you catch yourself thinking. Mm -hmm. And even just that, that thought that comes up, like I'm doing this wrong or I can't do this or mm. I'm failing. Even that is like, let that go. Yeah. And like, that's part of the process too. And like, I, I think, it, I think it's so hard because like you said, that meme, people imagine like this, this perfectly peaceful, centered, quiet monk mm -hmm. or something from like, it's very like othering too. Like they're like yeah. the people over there, they can do this, but the mm. Western people, we can't like, it's too, it's impossible, you know? Yeah. And we put it up there as like this thing, this impossible attainment. And then we try to sit down and do it. First of all, it's so, because we've like made it this thing that's like over there, mm. it's like, we're like, oh, we're like uncomfortable in it. Or like we feel silly almost yeah, starting. Yeah. You think you have to be sitting in some position, some special, like yeah, yeah. saying ohm or I don't know. But well, you... I've, I've recommended meditation to people and they're like weirded up by this. Yeah. It's like, oh, you meditate? Yeah. And it's like, you think that's weird? Like, yeah. what? Like, you're, you're... <sighs> once you've meditated, it's so obvious. Mm -hmm. Like meditate for a month and you're just like, oh, why wasn't I doing this the rest of my life? Yeah. You know? Exactly. But... But uh, the thing is, is about meditation is that like there are a lot of ways to approach it. Mm -hmm. There's so many different ways. And then like I'm certainly not going to put this forward as like the only one true way what I'm going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. uh, what I found in my own practice, again, is that regardless of what kind of technique, and I've used a few, um, the kind of like meta skill that you need across all of them is the skill of simply letting go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I actually had a firsthand experience a month ago that like defined a lot of what this episode is about. Like I had this experience... And then the next day I like sat down and wrote out like a huge outline basically of this whole episode. Mm -hmm. And, uh, basically what happened is that I was delivering for, I like all summer I've been delivering for Uber eats on like a pedal bike. And I, I was going through this like super busy intersection. There was a green light and it's one that I've been through ever all the time. And so I was just like completely unconscious to how I was going through it, mm -hmm. but it was, it happened around the time that the, uh, the high schools in Montreal came back. And so there's like a bunch of high school kids standing on one of the corners mm -hmm. and there was another biker coming perpendicular to the path that I was going. He didn't slow down. He didn't stop. He didn't like do anything. He just went out into the, the street, saw me coming, slammed on his, his brakes. And I still managed to like clip the front of his tire, mm -hmm. right? And like I flipped over my bike with food in my backpack too, right? And I remember like as I was going down, I was like, oh, fucking hell, man. <laughs> it was like this stutter, like, oh my God. And uh, Oh, did the people's food spill? 
I'm like more concerned about the food than you. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I did was like check the food and huh. it was it was good. Oh, it was fuck good. Yeah. And it's like the guy was like immediately apologetic. He knew he fucked up. He was mm. like, I'm so sorry. And I was just like, he was he was like, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> it's just like the most like fuck you thing yeah. I could say. And I, I like I wanted to say so much more to this yeah. guy, of course, but I was just like, just watch where you're going. Like mm. be more careful. And then I got on my bike, bike to the curb, checked the food and just like kept going. Yeah. And, uh, as I was going though, I was like just ruminating about this person mm -hmm. and how much of a fucking idiot they are. And just like having these arguments in my head where like I subdue him with some dumb argument mm -hmm. and make him feel bad and regret his life choices. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like <laughs> all throughout this like mental tirade, I, I knew that I just needed to let it go. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I would get into this angry thought loop, realize what I was doing, choose to let it go, focus on biking safely, making sure that I like slow down at busy intersections. And eventually my thoughts would just come back to the anger. Right. And it's like, the funny thing is, is that I actually started getting frustrated and disappointed at myself for not being able to let it go. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, like I'm the psychedelic podcaster guy. I'm the meditation guy. I shouldn't be fuming about this for so long after it happened. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I should, I was like shooting myself to just be able to let it go. Mm -hmm. And this went on for a little while until it like dawned on me that I needed to let go of the fact that I couldn't let go. Yeah, it's ah, like, that is it. I know, I know. Mm -hmm. It's like, instead of being disappointed and frustrated, I needed to just let it go. But I also needed to let go of the fact that I had become disappointed and frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like this infinite regression of letting go. Just like mm -hmm. find some place where you can let go and just let go. Mm -hmm. And it's like whatever I was, I was feeling was perfectly fine. And there was nothing left to do but just let go. Mm -hmm. And it's like the point of meditation is to learn repeatedly how to let these things that we get lost in go. Yeah, that's just perfect, though, because mm -hmm. just let go. I think the, the thing when people think that back to what I was saying earlier is like, you think just let go means just let go and your mind is clear all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, just let go of even wanting to have a clear mind, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. Let go of that, like that, that feeling that you're, that you're even distant from that possibility mm -hmm. of letting go. Like you're already there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like <laughs> when, when you're meditating, it's like each time you realize your mind is wondered, you, you let go of whatever you were thinking about and just return to the breath. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what it is. You just choose to let it go. Focus on your breath. Like if it's a negative thought, a positive thought, a funny memory, a good idea, an embarrassing moment sex. from when you were like six years old, sex. <laughs> it's like, it's it's like when you're, sick. when you're meditating, I mean, that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> when you're meditating, all of it doesn't matter as much as what you're doing at that moment, which yeah. is just focusing on your breath. And so you have to let it go. Yeah. And the more often, you're able to practice that ability, the more you're actually winning because letting go is much harder than you think. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. And, mm -hmm. you know, just a couple of days ago, I was having this like really interesting thought about the, the structure of reality and how our minds like create that structure depending on what we understand about it. So like for, for example, you can have the view of reality most people have where like there's this impossibly enormous void and it's full of matter and all that matter is essentially bouncing around based on the physical laws. 
right? But then you have the idea of the plenum, which is this view where there is no void. There is only substance moving around itself. And so like, imagine like a tank full of liquid where you have like water, oils, and a bunch of other liquids that can't mix together, right? Mm -hmm. And when you shake it up, they'll just kind of flow past each other and intermix, but never actually combine into one liquid. Mm -hmm. This is what the plenum is. That's what reality is composed of, where there's just a bunch of different parts that are simply flowing past each other. Mm -hmm. They're moving relative to one another. And there's no big empty void. So there's no space. There's just like even the air itself is like still... It's still just like another fluid and it's just flowing, you know, and it's like even solids are like a fluid kind of moving through time, you know, and, and and so I was like thinking about that during my meditation, basically. And, uh, I like snapped back to awareness and remembered, oh shit, I'm meditating. But like, I didn't want to stop thinking about that because I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Like comparing, oh, how does like the mind structure reality and how does that change how we think? Mm -hmm. But that's what like beginner meditation looks like. Mm-hmm. And depending on how often and for how long you practice, that might go on for a couple of years where it's just getting lost in these thoughts and returning to your breath. And, and counterintuitively, the more we notice that our mind is wandering, the better we're becoming at simply being aware of what our mind is usually doing. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, when we're first starting out, we actually perceive this as getting worse because again, we don't realize how little control we have and how all over the place our minds usually are. The vast majority of our thoughts are nonsense, like complete frivolous chatter that we're barely even aware of. Mm -hmm. Once we build that awareness, we realize how often we actually end up getting lost in the nonsense. And this makes us feel as if we're losing. But the truth is that when we are meditating, all we have to do is let go of the thought when we notice we're lost and bring our attention back to the breath. And now we've won. Mm-hmm. Every single time we do that, we are winning. We are doing meditation properly. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Maybe, maybe this speaks to the point I'm at in my meditation practice. Okay. But um, similarly to everyone that has ever tried meditation, I've struggled with being able to let go and being able to quiet my mind. Mm-hmm. And trying different approaches and stuff. I feel like lately that's kind of what I've been doing is I let my mind wander, but I, I guide it to some place that's beneficial. Like I, I don't let my mind wander in the kind of unhealthy way, which is like, you know, planning out conversations with people or creating yeah. imaginary situations or like just thinking about sex the whole time, you know, <laughs> like it will be something thought provoking. I'll think of like, I'll, like, um, like being in nature and watching Mm -hmm. water flow and the thoughts that come from that. Okay. And my mind can wander thinking about something that's actually, that maybe is spiritual in some way. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, my mind isn't empty, but it's quiet and there's Mm -hmm. like a peace there and it's, it it brings awareness at like a higher level, Mm -hmm. but it's not empty. So like, do you think that's, um, do you think the ultimate goal of meditation is to be like completely quiet? Like, what are we getting towards? Is that something you've answered? I think we'll get into later in the podcast, something Mm -hmm. kind of like that. But I think like, I think when we talk about meditation, it's difficult to talk about like an ultimate goal of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, like with, with your, with the, the visualization that you, you talked about, it's Mm -hmm. like, if that's getting you stress relief and like you just care about meditation for stress relief mm-hmm. i mean that's fine like just do that yeah or just pre- presence and awareness is kind mm. of what i look for for sure 
or like in connection to connection with self mm. and yeah i think i think that's something that every person has to define is like what what are you going for because like you said yeah it could just be stress relief like mm-hmm. people in the western world are very stressed and we yeah. have a lot of things going on and like a lot of the easily accessible meditation like the headspace app i'm sure you've gotten ads for that it's like yeah it's very much like the quiet your mind focus mm-hmm. on a stream running or something yeah exactly yeah. you know I, i've when we talk about and we'll we'll go deeper into this okay just kind of bear with me when yeah. i say this like if we talk about a mystical experience for example um i've i've heard that you know you could be meditating and they can just like happen mm-hmm. just like that like there's not necessarily anything that makes them happen, mm-hmm. you know? And so when you're, we're talking about like, okay, if you make your goal, the mystical experience, let's say, mm-hmm. and you're meditating with visualization, it's possible that that could happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's not like any one meditation technique is necessarily going to prevent you from getting a mystical experience. Mm-hmm. But I guess my point when I say that is to say, that even when you're doing that visualization, you are still letting go in the sense that anything that disturbs that visualization, you let go and then refocus mm-hmm, on the visualization, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, there's still this meta skill of letting go of the things that are not specific to the technique you're doing, Yeah. right? Yes, okay. And it's like, even if you are, like I've heard some people do like mind wandering techniques mm-hmm. where like they just allow their mind to do whatever it wants to do and they're just sitting there for 20 minutes. And with that one, I think like, hmm. yeah, even with that one, I was just thinking like, is there a letting go component of that? And it's like, yes, you're letting go of not wanting to sit there for 20 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, even in that one, there's always this component of like letting go of the things you would rather be doing at this one, this yeah. particular moment. Or letting go of what you think things should be. Mm-hmm. Cause that's kind of like the absence of direction. Yeah, that's you know? very like, true. Yeah. Meditation should be this thing where I'm thinking about water running or something peaceful like that. It's like, no, yeah. meditation is just letting go. Yeah. So let go of even that conception of meditation mm-hmm. and just let your mind do whatever it wants. Exactly. And it's, and, and again, like uh, when I was thinking about this, it's just like letting go, I'm sure it's like a matter of degree, of course, of like how much you're letting go depending on the technique, but mm-hmm. no matter what, you're always practicing that skill. Mm-hmm. I think a huge caveat I have to make though, is that letting go does not equal nihilism. I think that many people hear about letting everything go and they assume this means that you don't care about anything or that you're repressing your emotions or thought in some way. Mm-hmm. Earlier I said whatever I felt was perfectly fine and there was nothing else to do but let it go. Mm-hmm. Whatever we feel right now is exactly perfectly fine. Like if I'm angry, if I'm depressed, this is exactly what I'm supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. Letting go doesn't necessarily mean that I get rid of that emotion. Mm-hmm. I still feel that emotion fully. It's just, I'm not clinging onto it by trying to get rid of it through repression. Mm-hmm. When we try to like get rid of something, we're basically grabbing a hold of it and running around trying to find a place to hide it. Mm-hmm. Completely oblivious to the fact that we are literally holding onto it. Yeah. And it's, you know, the more you try to get rid of something, the more anxious or frustrated you become to get rid of it. And that anxiety and frustration just fuels the very thing you're trying so hard to get rid of. Mm -hmm. All our emotions are taking place within our own minds and they will feed into each other. Mm -hmm. It's not like different parts of your mind are somehow like quartered off from each other. It's all one thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very true. You just end up pushing shit into the shadow. Mm Mm-hmm. And it still influences it's you from still there. Still there. Yep. Yeah. 
And it's like when we talk about nihilism, then letting go of our emotions or our thoughts means that we simply allow them to rest within us without needing to change them. Mm -hmm. We still feel our emotions and we still care about whatever it is we care about. We just aren't clinging onto it or desperately trying to get rid of it. If we want to do something that is meaningful to us, we are benefited by letting it go because we are no longer introducing additional anxiety or additional negative emotions into the mix. If we want something to change really, really bad, we are actually filling our mind with resistance to the current state of things mm -hmm. rather than focusing on what we actually need to do to change things. Mm -hmm. It's like the difference between being problems oriented where you're just focused on the problem and being solutions oriented where you're focused on finding a solution. Mm -hmm. And, uh, our cognitive resources are limited mm -hmm. and we are spending, we are spending them on empty resistance rather than on action. Yeah. Right. And so obviously the conversation around nihilism is certainly more complex than that. But my point is simply that it's not nihilism. Mm -hmm. It's just being able to let go of the things that of anything. Yeah. You know, be able to have that choice at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think even the language letting go mm -hmm. sounds like, like it, it almost becomes synonymous with getting rid of for a mm -hmm. lot of people. Cause you think of like letting go of a balloon, it just floats away and it's gone. Yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, some, the way that I've, that's helped me conceptualize it is surrender. It's just like, just that's it. Yeah. You know, just complete acceptance. Yeah. And that encapsulates it still existing as it is, but just like not trying to change it. Mm hmm. You know, and we've spoken about that before is like accepting something helps you let it go, mm -hmm. you know, but you have to accept it first. You can't just jump to getting rid of it. I mean, yeah, that, that's exactly it. It's like, I love that distinction you make between surrender and uh, repression, mm -hmm. right? It's like, I, I, I said by letting go, we still feel fully. Yeah. We don't repress or try to get rid of the feelings or thoughts. Mm -hmm. We simply allow it to be without needing to change it. Mm -hmm. That is that surrender, like you said. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, when we let it go to do whatever it needs to do, the emotions and thought just run their course and eventually die down. Mm -hmm. That's another huge thing that meditation teaches you. It's like all these negative thoughts and emotions we have, you know, that we give so much meaning to are ultimately transient and temporary. Mm -hmm. If we just stop holding on to them, they will reach their natural end, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, maybe it's not in the same session of meditation or even several weeks of meditation. Mm -hmm. It might take a long time to do that because like in a lot of cases, we've been holding on this stuff for years. Yeah. But if we give it that time, if we just like remain consistent to the practice, we can let go of far more than we think we can. Yeah. You know? Oh, what's up? I'm just, just, thinking about that and how difficult it is though. <laughs> this is just like an aside, but like in my experiences with anxiety, yeah. and insomnia and stuff and, and my eating disorder and every problem I have is just like, it all comes down to this inability to just let something mm -hmm. happen and let it run its course to just feel something. And no matter how bad it is, just like wait mm -hmm. and not respond to it. Yeah. That's the hardest thing. Cause like everything, all of the manifestations of my problems are me trying to escape the intense sensation of being <laughs> in a negative place. Yeah. You know, it's running like, oh, I need like some kind of stimulation. I need something to distract me. I can't sit with this feeling mm -hmm. and I think I'm getting rid of it, but I'm not. No. 
I'm just perpetuating that cycle. And if I were to just like watch it, have that objective distance awareness and just allow however intense it gets, however painful it feels or discomfort or whatever discomfort I feel, if I just let it wash over me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Then eventually, no matter how long it took, Mm -hmm. it would pass eventually. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the hardest part is not reacting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. way, way easier said than done. Yeah. And I, am really hoping that the exercise I'm going to be talking about later will help people as much as it's helped me Mm -hmm. because it's, it's, it just makes it easy, Mm -hmm. you know, easier at the very Mm -hmm. least. Yeah. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) Yeah. Might be too generous. Yeah. Easy might be too generous. Yeah. Um, but like at this point though, I I think the benefit of letting go is obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I like I said, we're going to get into the actual mechanics of letting go, but I think there's a very important part of letting go that I think is extremely profound. Mm-hmm. And this is where we kind of begin to talk about the mystical experience. Mm-hmm. But to begin understanding it, I have to talk first about the nine dot problem. Ooh. So Sounds like a fun game. Yeah, yeah. It's frustrating, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> uh, because like it, basically what it is, is imagine on a piece of paper that you have like nine dots arranged in a square formation. Mm-hmm. And this is really fucking cool. But... The objective of the task is to draw a line through each of the dots using only four lines and you cannot lift your pen once you've started. This problem is actually a lot more difficult than you think, right? Because, you know, people start out and they're like, oh, this is super easy. Like, I bet I can finish it in a couple seconds, right? And then suddenly after a few tries, they're like, wait, what the fuck? Like, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. The solution that people have such a hard time seeing is that you have to think outside the box. And have the lines go outside the square, right? If you start it beyond the box, you'll, you'll find the solution. Mm-hmm. But our, our minds are structured in such a way that as soon as we see nine dots arranged in a square, we assume that there is actually a square. Mm-hmm. And so we have extreme difficulty mm-hmm. making our lines go outside this imaginary square. Mm-hmm. And in psychology, we call these structures of mind like many different names. The imaginary box we see is uh, called like an illusory contour where we like fill out the edges Mm. in incomplete shapes. It's like a gestalt thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like when we, when we talk about rules of mind, we call those heuristics or mental shortcuts, Mm -hmm. right? And, and they're rules of mind that allow us to make decisions really quickly. And usually they actually work well enough that we can solve most problems that we face. Like we evolved this capacity for a reason. Like when I look at your face, I see Kaylee's face. I don't see a bunch of eyes and a nose. Yeah, (laughs) you just got a bunch of eyes. I'm sorry. I had to say at some point, right? (laughs) But I see a whole face, right? And it's like that makes the ability to recognize faces far easier. Mm -hmm. But the issue is that we often aren't even aware of the fact that we're using a heuristic. Like, I'm not aware of the fact that I see your whole face. Yeah. I just see a whole face. And so we double down on these patterns of thinking and perceiving, assuming that if we just keep thinking the way we've always thought, we'll eventually get to the answer we need. This is what it means to get stuck in a rut. Mm. We get stuck into a certain way of thinking, feeling, and acting, and we have no idea there is any other way to think, feel, and act other than how we've always been doing it. In short, we get stuck inside the box, inside the nine dot problems of our lives, and we have no idea an outside even exists. Mm-hmm. 
fortunately. There is actually an outside and there is a way to get out. Mm -hmm. The process of letting go is the process of getting outside our boxes of thinking. Mm -hmm. It's like when we let go and simply sink into the present moment, when we allow our minds to drift off and do what it wants as we return our attention to breath, we are training our minds to let go of everything. Mm -hmm. This includes like our normal ways of thinking. We're not getting lost in the anxiety or frustration of trying to solve our nine dot problems. We're not even thinking about the problems. We're just focusing on our breath. When the thought comes in, we let it go and return to the breath. Mm -hmm. This helps our mind let go of the heuristics we've become conditioned into using to like the point of blindness. Mm -hmm. It's just, I, I love um, talking about all of this mm -hmm. with all of my knowledge that I gained from doing the last podcast, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's very, they fit well together. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, like, just like uh, at a different level. Exactly. Yeah. I was just thinking like how convenient that was that they came after that. We talked first about like the neuroscience of spiritual states. And now we're yeah. talking about like putting into practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like the neuroscience of being in a rut, in a mental rut, like what that yeah. actually looks like and how that's reflected in the actual mm -hmm. structures, just being like hyper connected, but it's not the only way. And I think that's really important is the fact that like, again, when we talk about like these mystical states, people have no idea what those are. Mm -hmm. And they might think they're bullshit, mm -hmm. right? But, but like, we talked about the neuroscience of mystical states before mm -hmm. and of like normal consciousness. Mm -hmm. And then like the nine dot problem I learned as a, like as a, as an example of the benefit of meditation from John Verveke. And he's like a cognitive scientist from the University of Toronto, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, these are, these are known to science. Mm -hmm. These aren't just like something we we'd learned about in some religious text. And we're mm -hmm. like, oh, this seems real. But it's like, no, we, we actually know that yeah. people have these experiences. Yeah. And, and Verveke compared the spiritual state to a sort of flow state, mm. right? And if you don't know what a flow state is, it's basically when you're like completely focused on a task, like being in the zone mm -hmm. is a flow state. And, and with consistent meditation over the course of many years, many years, people can enter deeper and deeper into these states. And this is relevant to the nine dot problem because these flow states are defined by what Verveke calls an insight cascade, where we consistently and repeatedly solve problems due to insights coming to us more smoothly. Mm. And again, like that's what it means to be in the zone. You're flowing so deeply with whatever it is you're doing that it's almost like you're watching yourself do something mm -hmm. rather than actually doing it. Like whether it's uh, playing a sport or creating a piece of art, you're in a conversation, writing an essay or doing anything else, the flow state and thus meditation is essential for getting to a very high level with those things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you want to be a successful scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, artist, whatever it else, whatever else it is that you could dream of being, developing that ability is profoundly important. Mm -hmm. If you've developed the ability to enter a flow state defined by an insight cascade, like the coolest fucking word ever. Mm -hmm. The benefit to anything you want to do with your life is just obvious. Uh -huh. Like to be able to sit down for 30 minutes to get yourself into a state of mind where you're completely outside your normal way of thinking, where you're completely free of any of the heuristics that have been blinding you potentially for years. Your ability to do truly amazing things for yourself and society will be unheard of. This is precisely because barely anyone is even aware of these more advanced states. And they spend their entire lives cementing their heuristics, let alone trying to get past them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like you said, did you just feel like that's the only way to be, like mm -hmm. slugging through something and like kind of always being distracted, mm -hmm. even if even if you like are stay relatively focused, like, you know, when I do work, I'm not always in a flow state, like I'll be working, but I'm not in a flow state, like they're two different things, yeah, even yeah. if I'm relatively focused on what I'm doing, my mind can still be like many other places. Yeah. But... I don't know. I can't say, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like what it feels like to be in a flow state mm -hmm. in like regular life. Yeah. You know, cause I feel like usually I'll achieve that on psychedelics. <laughs> well, it's, it's a matter of degree. Yeah. Like a psychedelic, a meditation practice after years of doing it. Like yeah. some people say a couple years, some people say mm -hmm. up to 10 years, maybe even longer depending mm -hmm. on who you are. But even just like getting focused on like, doing some math problems and you get into the flow of doing homework or I got into mm -hmm. a flow state while I was writing the essay for the podcast. Yeah. Just that is something inching toward a mystical experience, mm -hmm. right? It's just like a mystical experience is a specific type of this state. That's like extremely, extremely advanced where yeah. you're so deeply into it that your sense of self completely disappears. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, how is it though that simply meditating could lead to these inside cascades. What is it about meditation that gets us outside of our boxes of normal thinking? And that is again, because of these mystical experiences. So we're going to get deeper into this right now. Okay. And I just wanted to say, because I know this is a very deep topic that, you know, is, is incredibly multifaceted and there are so many different opinions on them. Like whether it's science, religion, different cultures, there maybe people are going to disagree with what I'm about to say, right? But for our purposes here, for the purposes of just the average listener, these experiences can be understood in the way that I'm going to frame them, okay. right? It's like, if you have any preconceived notions about the nature of these states, please just set them aside for now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying they're wrong or that this is the one true, most true truth. It's just for the sake of this podcast, you know? But um, essentially what happens with these mystical experiences is that you've practiced letting go so much that you're actually able to let go of thinking altogether, which also means thinking about yourself. All thoughts about who you are and what you are simply melt away, and all that is left is just awareness as such, awareness in itself. Mm -hmm. What you experience this as is a dissolution of self. This is what it feels like to experience ego death. Yes. And it's like, just consider what the world would look like when you can no longer tell the difference between yourself and the outside world. Not as a psychosis, but as a state that is described as unimaginably blissful, peaceful, and just like life-changing. This is what happens when you let go completely. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the final frontier. What, how can you let go of your thoughts? But mm -hmm. then how can you let go of yourself altogether mm -hmm. and transcend? That's really interesting because in our last podcast, remember we said like <laughs> expert meditators, it's like the same experience, like internally of, of, of quieting mm -hmm. the same network yeah. of psychedelics. Yeah. It's uh, the DMN. Yeah. For anybody who hasn't listened to that podcast is the, the network of brain areas that have been associated with the sense of self. Mm -hmm. And when you are in a mystical state, when you do a psychedelic, those areas quiet down, mm -hmm. right? And we are now given an awareness that is completely undefined by our normal patterns of thinking. And that is unfortunately the issue. Because these experiences completely transcend our ability to put them into words. 
Mm-hmm. Like you just can't. I've experienced them myself and it's just like nothing could have prepared me for what that feels like. It's ineffability. It's ineffability. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's, you know, people have these experiences and sometimes know fully what, ha- what has to change in their lives and are extremely motivated to do so. And it, when they try to convey it in words, they're often at a loss. Yeah. You know? And, and in some cases, they come up with radically different explanations like, it showed me God doesn't exist or I am literally God. Yeah. Completely opposite ends of the spectrum. And like we said in the, in the last episode, this is why the Sangha or community is so important. These experiences transcend logic and so magical thinking is very much a possibility. Just because you've experienced these mystical states doesn't mean that your interpretation of them is going to be accurate. No. And the thing is like interpretation mm-hmm. at all, like naturally humans, like we, I feel like we, we want to understand things. We want to be able to share them too. Like we want to be able to put it into words. We want to tell somebody about it mm-hmm. and we just want to understand what happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. rarely do you just have, does somebody just have a mystical experience and then they just had it mm-hmm. and they don't try to go further, try to speak it, try to tell somebody about it, try to share it, you know, like the first thing I did was share it Yeah, with my friends. Like I was like, this experience was so profound and it was so crazy that I just needed to explain it. Yeah. And you try and you feel so silly. You're like, I did this and I felt this and you're just like, nah, Mm. but like the words aren't coming. Right. And, um, because there are no words, they just don't exist. And then (laughs) words like God and stuff are used usually because it's like, what is bigger than God? Yeah. That's the thing. And it's like, it's such a cliche to say, you know, we are made of star stuff. Yeah. We are all one. But until you've actually experienced that, you don't really know what it's like. Like I remember when I first heard that, I think it was like from Neil deGrasse Tyson, we're made of star stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so true. That's so crazy. Yeah. And I felt I felt something like the beginnings of what I felt, but it's just like when you fully feel that when you like you experience firsthand yourself become the universe, it's just like, oh shit, like I am the table. Like look at a table right now and be like, can you feel that it is you? It, it like you literally feel that, you know, and it's like, it's the most, it's just crazy. It's just yeah. fucking crazy. I'm like, again, I'm trying to put it into words and I just can't. Yeah. I just can't. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, 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 I think it's part of the, just like the, the nature of being human is that we need to interpret what happens around us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may have solved the nine dot problem of your life, but you have no idea how to put that solution into words, let alone action. Mm-hmm. And without proper support, this can be extremely dangerous. Like you need a community of people who can reground you and make sure that your interpreted solution is actually a good solution. Because if you have some people who believe dangerous things, let's put it, whatever that may be, you can make some very bad decisions, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, you need to be aware of just like how, how the laws of nature work. Because if you, if you fuck with one of those laws, you're going to get fucked up in return, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, you need to be careful with these states. And this is especially true when we consider the fact that psychedelics can occasion mystical experiences. That's literally like the name of a, a paper on this. Mm-hmm. Like we now have increasingly the tools that people can use to have these sorts of experiences that can be incredibly beneficial, but can be incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And everybody interprets interprets their experience differently based on everything they've ever come into contact with. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. You can literally come up with anything. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like you hear about DMT. And I first heard about DMT from... uh, Aubrey Marcus on Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and they were like joking about like machine elves and all this kind of stuff. And like, I just thought it was like some crazy stuff. Like I was like, Oh, this is super interesting. But it's like, when you do these experiences, many people literally believe that like machine elves are designing the universe. They're designing reality from a higher plane. And maybe that is the case. I don't know, but those are some outlandish beliefs. <laughs> And it's like, you can have anything along that spectrum toward machine elves designing the universe from a different dimension. Yeah. And if you're making your decisions based on those beliefs, it's like, is that really the best use of what you've realized? You know, like, Mm -hmm. who knows? That's Mm -hmm. the thing. It could be, it could be, but like, you need to be able to have a community of people you can trust who can ground you back into reality. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because even communities can like, perpetuate those kinds of beliefs <laughs> yeah. and shape those beliefs too you that's know? very like, true yeah we had a, a whole episode about like how real are psychedelic insights and we talked about how mm-hmm. suggestible that state is you know and just by somebody explaining to you or preparing you for a trip and using certain language will shape how you mm-hmm. experience and interpret what happens to you yeah yeah and you know i think that's why we need Science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think because science is being our best tool that we've come up with to really verify truth between people, Mm -hmm. to be able to say, okay, this is something that is true for the most people. And so this is what we need to use to like Mm. abide by, to follow. Mm -hmm. Because you can say like, like I know some people might be listening to this and be like, oh, you don't know about the truth of like mystical experiences and that truth transcends science. But that truth is only true for you. Mm-hmm. And potentially people have also experienced that. That's not like a truth that can scale to the to the order of populations. Yeah. You know? And that's just, you got to remember that when you're interpreting your experience. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's your experience. And um, yeah, it just, it just can't scale. Mm-hmm. And maybe science will never be able to verify that. Yeah. And that's okay. They can be separate. We can have, it's both and, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're, they're both valuable at different levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it, I guess like my point there bringing up science is just to say that like we do have these tools to make sure that we actually understand what's going on mm-hmm. that are very powerful and beneficial. Mm-hmm. And we need to be aware that science is just a tool and it is imperfect. But at the same time, it's like if we need to verify something, it's probably the best thing to include in your in your interpretation yeah you know like a good example actually of um a good example of how this can not be put up to scale what i mean by that is like for example if you've had an experience where like you realize that we are all god you know like everything is just completely one we are all god and we are all divine there are people who might think that and say like oh well satan thought that he was God and he was evicted from heaven. Or there's like the, I know there's the Islamic law that like, uh, I think it's the, the law against replacement where you can't replace yourself as God. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, you can think that like, Oh, we are all God. We are all one. And you think that's most like unifying message, but then you have a Christian or a Muslim who hears that. And it's like, it's going against the, uh, the laws of their religious belief. And that actually creates division 
right? And so it's like that scientific perspective, that empirical perspective is essentially to say, what do we know about reality? What do we know about the way that people react based on scientific principles, like the, the actually going on studying those things, what do we think this belief that you're putting forward is going to affect those people? Mm-hmm. That's like, that's a scientific argument. That's a scientific way of looking at it and judging what those beliefs are actually going to do in the, in, in the real world. And so that's what I mean by science. It's like, yeah. we need to compare these things and the effect that they might have because science is our first tool that can judge things at population levels. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's like the mystical experience that that's kind of give you an idea it, of what folks. it's like. <laughs> that's it. That's all there is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's basically that. And it's something you can experience something scientifically validated. There's some dangers to it, but it is something that is possible. Mm-hmm. But coming back to the idea of letting go, we're going to get now into the exercise and you can, we're going to put this in description so you can screenshot and have you with you, but we're just going to go through it. And, um, so you have an idea of like what you're actually supposed to do. And so the, the first step is to like open yourself to your body and briefly scan it from head to toe. And basically what you're doing is just looking throughout your body for any hot point or like a point of energy or tension or like heightened sensation of some kind, you know, maybe it's your gut, your chest or your head. And if you can't find one that stands out to you, just choose any area, right? And so for for this example, I'm going to choose the stomach. And what you want to do is, as you inhale, imagine that this energy is moving with the breath from that hot point down into one of your feet. And then with the exhale, imagine that this energy and the muscular tension within the leg are moving up your leg and out of your mouth right? Like just visualize what it might feel like for this energy to go up out of your leg with the muscular tension. And what you want to do after that is repeat it once more with the same leg and then repeat this two times with the other leg, your stomach, each side of your chest, each arm, your neck, and your head. And then what you want to do for the rest of the exercise is to continue inhaling and exhaling the energy from that point of tension. And you just want to do that until your timer goes off, until you feel fully relaxed. And that's the exercise. Mm-hmm. Wait, how long? Oh, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. So again, like I said, if you're first starting out, even doing it for five minutes, mm. that's fine. But personally, I found that at least 30 minutes is the best thing. So if you want to work up to that over the course of a couple of weeks, that's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, totally. Um, or do it as long as you can. Some people are busy to understand that. Yeah. Um, the major thing to remember though, is that like, this is very much a visualization exercise. Mm-hmm. Don't get caught up in the use of uh, the word energy, right? Like it's just meant to kind of visualize the sensation. Like if you want to believe that it is energy, like that's totally fine. That's your belief, but it, it's more just to represent the feeling of emotion in your body. Yeah. Right. And go ahead. It's funny because it is though. Like I, I, I think mm-hmm. it's so funny that the word energy has like become this like mm-hmm. uh, word that people are like ah oh, like like cringe at or kind of like mm-hmm. or, or don't see it as scientific or they think it's like um they just see it as like this esoteric thing that's just yeah. like like mystical meaning like not grounded in like the physical world kind of thing but everything is energy mm-hmm. i don't know I, I just never understood like why why this word got such a bad rap kind yeah. of or like a 
a skeptical, like people are so skeptical of, of using that word to describe something. Again, I think it's because of the, the magical thinking that can come into it because you yeah. think energy and people like, Oh, I'm casting spells with my energy. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like that, that belief in, in being able to do things that you can't really do with mm -hmm. energy mm -hmm. has kind of like poisoned the well. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like the, yeah. the, the raw physical definition of energy is like the ability to do work. Yeah. You know, I think like if I remember back to physics, I think energy is defined as like a uh, force per meter. Uh -huh. So how much force do you have to exert to push this thing a meter? I think I oh. can, don't quote me on that, but I think that's like the actual definition of energy. Really? Okay. Right. And so it's like, if we're talking about like energy, like moving energy in the body, it's not really that physical scientific definition. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's why I say like, just visualize it because yeah, yeah, science is amazing. Physics yeah. and the definition of energy has given us amazing things, but don't let that limit you. No. Like if, if you're one of those people who hear energy and you're like, oh, energy, bullshit. That's yeah. like, you're just being blinded by science. Yeah. Science isn't meant to blind you. It's meant to be like a tool to help you see. Yeah. So don't be blinded by your glasses. Yeah. That's completely ridiculous. For sure. And like your attention is energy. You're moving that energy mm -hmm. to your gut, to your mm -hmm. leg, out your mouth. Like you're focusing your focus is energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, you know, this energy is just anxiety, anger, mm -hmm. fear, arousal, mm -hmm. just whatever you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And you're bringing your awareness just to the bodily or somatic component of a mental state. Yeah. And it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Because, you know, this exercise is showing you how to let go because, okay, so <laughs> with each exhale, you're practicing the feeling of letting go, right? You're literally releasing, letting go of the muscular tension. And you're also visualizing the energy, the emotion in your body leaving with the exhale. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and when you're practicing that exercise, you're developing the skill of awareness of the somatic component of the emotion you're creating distance with it by turning it into an energy that you're moving around your body, right? You're turning it into an object of awareness, something you're looking at rather than something you find yourself lost in, right? Like rather than looking at the thing that's making you angry, you're looking at the anger itself. And you're also learning to let go of the emotion by creating a metaphor with the feeling of letting go of muscular tension. Like we're often so confused by what it means to let something go. And so by creating that metaphor, that comparison with letting go of muscular tension, we're going to see like that letting go of mental states feels the same way. Mm -hmm. And this exercise is something that I use all the time when I'm like, if I have difficulty sleeping, I use this thing. If I get lost in like a negative thought loop, rumination, I'm directing my attention to the feeling because that emotion is what is fueling the rumination. Mm -hmm. You can't logic your way out of emotional reality. You can't logic your way away from depression, mm -hmm. but you can turn your attention to the feeling and focus on letting go of the feeling. And thus you let go of whatever is fueling the negative thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really important to remember. And also, yeah, just really reiterating the somatic experience of an emotion because mm -hmm. that's really where that's like the language of the body like the tension mm -hmm. you hold is like anxiety or 
or fear or anger. Like it, it's held in the body. Right. I think we, we forget that a lot, mm-hmm. you know, as um, just rational beings. And like, like there's a lot of separation yeah. naturally between mind and body. Mm-hmm. And this, that's what you're basically suggesting here. This practice is like, it's bringing those two back together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause like, because I, you know, I completely agree because we've disconnected ourselves so much from our body and so much from our emotions because we, for so long we've considered emotions like the weakness, mm-hmm. you know, even like the weaker sex is the sex that's more emotional. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're, we're, what we're doing is we're pathologizing our emotions and we're pathologizing most of all our negative feelings. Mm-hmm. But with this exercise, you're not judging it. You aren't making it evil. You're just simply watching it. You're moving it around and you're letting it go. And when you're feeling something that feels bad, usually you're turning into this evil thing. Mm-hmm. When really you're just interpreting a sensation as evil or negative in some way. But by returning to like the sensation, we remember that it is just a feeling in our body. It is us Mm -hmm. and we can interpret it as something else. Mm -hmm. And it's like, often enough, these feelings are trying to tell us something. Mm -hmm. And even if they're wrong, we can be grateful for the attempt. Like if we are are suddenly cringing because we remember that dumb thing we did when we were six, like you remember when you were like, oh, mom, and it wasn't your mom, (laughs) right? And it's like. That's not really an important message. That's uh-huh. like a wrong emotional message, so to speak. Yeah. But if we feel ashamed of ourselves because we, like, we've disrespected someone we care about, that's an extremely important message. Yeah, for we sure. We want to be aware of that. And it's like the issue that comes with it is that we've, again, disconnected ourselves from these evil messages that we don't see them as messages anymore. Mm-hmm. We see them as something to be avoided. And then these emotions go unresolved and compound over time. So when we feel ashamed again, we are literally calling forth all of the shame that we've ever dealt with up to this point. Mm -hmm. When we talk about resolving emotional trauma, this is what we're talking about. Like when we're talking Mm -hmm. about uh, a soldier who comes back from war and has PTSD and they hear like an engine backfire and suddenly they're in the middle of a a conflict. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on. Mm-hmm. they haven't resolved those emotions and they're carrying them around with them and they'll just emerge at the drop of the hat. Mm-hmm. But obviously this is far more difficult than I'm making it sound. Mm-hmm. Obviously like it, it's, it's, it's a skill that you have to practice. Mm-hmm. And I have not even begun to explore the depths of meditation and of letting it go. So I'm not diminishing how difficult it is. But pathologizing the negative just creates more negativity. Mm-hmm. We become anxious about anxiety, ashamed of shame, angry at anger. But the path through the negativity is not to pathologize. It's to love it for what it's trying to show you. Because loving the negativity creates more love. Mm-hmm. And, and the only warning that I can give to like finish off what I, what I wrote here for the, for the episode is that this doesn't mean toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. Loving the negative does not mean toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. Our emotions evolve to help direct us, yeah. not to limit us or to endanger us. If we try to only feel positive emotions, we are severely handicapping our ability to deal with the thing that made us feel bad yeah. in the first place. That's spiritual bypassing. That's trying to use gratitude and love to avoid dealing with the difficulties of life. Mm-hmm. As I've said throughout the episode, 
you want to feel the emotion fully, however painful it may be, and it might be very, very painful, but respond to that pain with love and gratitude rather than more pain and help the emotion guide you. Mm-hmm. For sure. Fuck good vibes only. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though it's so true it's like yeah you need to feel these emotions or just pushing them down with love and gratitude they no. might feel nice in the moment but that's still there you're still yeah. like compounding that yeah and that's just back to the acceptance and the the surrender to what you're feeling it's mm. like loving it exactly as it is doesn't mean being like oh this is amazing it's like you know like painting it with that positive Mm -hmm. paintbrush it's like it is exactly as it is and i love it exactly as it is i allow it to be exactly as it is and learn from it because emotions are so beautiful yeah yeah you know like and they're not rational at all and so and that doesn't mean wrong you know i think that's what's really important to recognize it's yeah like non-rational doesn't mean wrong exactly and like it, you're like you said it, it's trying to tell you something it, it, it is a message it's just speaking a different language mm-hmm. and you need to listen to it and um yeah just become uh, to become more in touch with your emotions and allowing it is like it's it's getting back to being able to interpret them in in a better way mm-hmm I struggled with a lot of that in my early days of self-improvement and I would use that, that toxic positivity to be like, Oh no, be happy with it. Reframe it as something good. And Mm -hmm. it's like, all I was doing was just like forcing it down rather than dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And it's like one of the big things that I've learned to work on and I'm still working on is using that love and gratitude as a way to allow people to step over your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, if you feel angry at someone for stepping over your boundary, the answer to that isn't to be like, oh, but love them for who they are. Like they're, they're dealing with their trauma, right? It's mm-hmm. yes, yes, but also maintain your boundaries mm-hmm. and do that in a way that's respectful and loving of the things they've been through, but still enforce those boundaries. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an act of love toward yourself and toward them when you, when you have somebody respect your boundaries. Yeah. For sure. And there's also like a narrative that I got from you for a while, like years ago. And it was just like, it was, and obviously like no judgment. I'm not faulting you for it. It was just like the point you're at, but there was like this narrative of being anti-fragile, which Mm. was like, which was almost synonymous with being anti-emotional. It was just like, emotions are wrong. Work through that and don't be guided by your emotions, you know, like emotions were weakness Mm -hmm. and listening to them was like, and acting from them was a weakness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think, and again, it's, it's a, it's, it's a both end because it's very, it's a very nuanced opinion that again, I'm still, I'm not saying that this is like the the best interpretation of all of that stuff too, Mm because I could always learn more and like maybe in 10 years, I'll look back and at the same way I do 10 years from before now. Mm -hmm. But Anti-fragility is just the idea that, you know, you are, you improve from stress. Yeah. To put it mildly, like, yeah. or to put it simply, you, you just, you feel a stressor and you can improve from that stressor. Mm-hmm. And being emotionless is not anti-fragile. Mm-hmm. That makes you more fragile. 
Mm-hmm. And so like that, that's just another way of showing how you can take a really cool idea like anti-fragility and use it as a way to make yourself less anti-fragile mm-hmm. because you just don't understand your emotions as well as you think you do. And that's exactly what I was doing. I mm-hmm. became very uh, logical and mechanical. And if you've listened to our Spile Dynamic series, you may have learned that orange is very much like that. And mm-hmm. I was a very much an orange thinker at the time and not a green feeler, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, what else did you say? You said something else about like, oh yeah, like acting from emotions. Yeah. 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 Like I think however you act from, you can only ever act from your emotions mm-hmm. because, and, and this is something that might be controversial to a lot of people, but what we found with the, the neuroscience is that if you completely remove somebody's ability to process emotions where they just don't feel any emotions at all, Mm -hmm. they may logically understand what the next best step is, but they literally can't make it because they don't process emotions. Yeah. Like you can sit them down and you can give them all the evidence and they can say, oh yeah, I should do this thing. And you're like, okay, well then make that decision and do that thing. Uh, I can't. They just can't. Yeah. So it's like, no matter what you're doing, you're always acting from your emotions. Yeah. The point with anything, the the point with like emotional regulation or emotional mastery is to be aware of what emotions you're acting from Mm -hmm. and how that's influencing why you're acting the way you are, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, if you're, if you're saying, Oh, I'm angry right now and I'm going to act from that anger, that could push you toward doing something that's stupid and hurting somebody, mm-hmm. or it can push you towards setting a boundary and saying, I don't like the way that you're, I know that you didn't mean to, um, what's an example? You but can just, be, you can be ang- very angry that someone stepped over a boundary. Like even something as simple as not doing the dishes, like you, yeah. you've consistently not done the dishes. And I would really, I really appreciate if you would just start doing that. You can use anger to motivate you to do that, even though you're not transferring that anger to them. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the the point that I've come to now with when I say that is that you're not, you're not transferring that negative emotion onto them. Mm -hmm. You're still acting from a place of that anger because anger is what tells you when your boundaries have been crossed. Yeah. It's one of the emotions that does that, but you're not transferring that anger onto them by like calling them a dumb bitch because they didn't do the the dishes. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Mm Hmm. It's interesting because, yeah, like on one hand, I'm thinking emotional mastery is like, yeah, that that's the whole essence of it. It's like you yeah. want you want to be able to be aware of when an emotion arises in you and in your body mm-hmm. to recognize that, to listen to it and to be like to call it into question and be like, OK, where is this coming from mm-hmm. and how should I act on this? Mm-hmm. You know, because like like anger, for an example, you could you could hurt somebody mm-hmm. if, you, if you just like let that take over and you act immediately if you're immediately reactive with it um that can be a negative thing mm-hmm. whereas if you let it guide you if you see it understand it let it guide you and then let it help you make a decision that's going to change something mm-hmm. change their behavior then that's a good thing and but I, think- I don't know but like emotions like this is such a big topic and i almost feel overwhelmed right now because i don't like i don't have the words to mm express all that I'm like feeling okay about it because in so many ways like like putting your emotion onto somebody that is like a good thing like mm-hmm. infecting someone with your emotion whether that be like a painful thing like if you're in pain and you're sad mm-hmm. and like 
letting them see that and, and like that's a good thing or mm-hmm. love like love is an emotion mm-hmm. and like things they can be infectious and that can be a good thing mm-hmm. and it, it, it doesn't always have to follow that like you have to first become aware and then assess how you should act and then do it like you can let emotions guide you mm-hmm. and your actions you know i don't know it's it's I think what the the first thing that comes to mind is I hear that is I think like when you have an angry outburst where you like mm-hmm. you say something that disrespects somebody, mm-hmm. that was not the first time you felt angry about them doing that thing or felt angry about them. Like it's usually when you have outbursts, it's like it might not even be that person. It might be something that you experienced as a kid where you were bullied, for example, and like your angry outburst is like getting back at all those people who uh, did you wrong. Yeah, maybe. Right, and so it's like. And that's the thing. It's, you know, for a perfect example of that is like a school shooter, for example. Mm. The perfect example is a good example, for example. Uh, it's like you, they've been stepped on their entire life and they've been made to feel worthless their entire life that finally they say, I'm going to get back at all those people. And they end up like going on a, a massacre of people. Mm. That's the perfect way to illustrate what happens when you don't address your emotions at the beginning when you don't say okay i felt angry at this boundary crossing and now i'm going to establish that boundary and it's very difficult to say for like uh, a person who's been driven to that point what all the factors are at but the point i'm trying to make is that if you don't deal with the boundary when it's crossed the first time eventually it's going to come to the point where you out- you have an angry outburst and you end up saying something you didn't mean mm-hmm. right And the second thing that comes to mind is that you can let your emotions guide you, but if your emotions become pathologized, you, you can't, you can't allow those emotions to guide you because they are by definition pathological emotions. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And so it's, you can say, okay, I'm going to allow my anger to guide me, but like your, the way you've learned to express anger Mm -hmm. has been so pathologized because you watched your parents argue all the time Mm -hmm. or your, your, the way that you've expressed love is pathologized because you've learned to have a very clingy, weird stalkerish form of love that you've learned from romantic comedy movies. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's another thing where it's like, okay, just because you want to act from that love doesn't mean that you know how to express that love in a way that respects the other person or respects yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you should always, th- that, that awareness you're trying to bring is not necessarily to say, to stop at every moment and mm-hmm. like become hyper calculated in what you do, mm-hmm. but it's just to build that awareness so you can see how those emotions have contributed to how you see reality. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like one of my goals as a very emotional person Mm-hmm is to deeply understand my emotions and like through that process have like very healthy expressions of those emotions. Mm. And so, so I can let them guide me so I can let them like take over at times and like trust that it's going to be like, that it's good, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think, and I think that's something that meditation allows for and and doing this kind of self-development work is like, Mm -hmm. is going and healing those things. Like, so, so you're not, acting from anger today that was first seeded in like kindergarten or something when someone bullied you for the first time, you know, like, so you can experience anger and rage and passion Mm -hmm. and love and all of the other nuanced emotions. Cause it's so much, so much more nuanced than just like happy, sad, (laughs) angry, Mm -hmm. you know, 
there are so many emotions and the more you develop yourself emotionally, the more you can experience those. Mm. And then uh, it only gets more beautiful. Yeah. The, I think that emotions are like the palette mm -hmm. that we use to paint life. Yeah. You know, and, and so like when you're, when you're like talking about emotions, like people, again, people pathologize the passions, people yeah. pathologize being emotional, but emotions are the spice of life. <laughs> like they yeah. are. And it's, if, if you do the work to help heal your connection with your emotions, your life is going to be so much richer for it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But it's, it's a, it's a long process and there are a lot of traps mm -hmm. because just like you can become overly mechanical in reaction to your emotions, you can become too possessed by your emotions Yeah. and then you have no more logical capacity anymore because you're just like at the will of whatever emotion you're currently feeling and whatever it drives you to do. Yeah, for sure. It's both and all the time. Yeah. And it's just like, because they're non-rational, just kind of like the mystical experience that we talked, we talked about, mm -hmm. there is a danger. There are so many potential pitfalls in the interpretation of something like that, because there is no like standard that we can draw mm -hmm. from, you know, it's all interpretation. Mm hmm. And so, yeah, yeah it's, it's not easy work, Yeah, but it's amazing. It's beautiful. I mean, Ken Wilber's integral theory mm -hmm. is a model of reality, I suppose, let's, to put it like that. And basically what he says is that half of reality is interpretation, mm -hmm. whether it's your own interpretation or a cultural interpretation. And the mm -hmm. other half is like objective reality. So we have objective reality and then we have our interpretation of that reality. Mm -hmm. And so if you're ignoring the interpretive elements of reality, that's 50% that you're just completely ignoring, mm -hmm. you know? And so you need to become conscious of how your interpretations are dictating objective reality. Yeah. Right. Because you are acting in reality based on those interpretations. Yeah, exactly. And through meditating, becoming aware of that, becoming aware of the fact that it is an interpretation, you realize that you can change that interpretation mm -hmm. just like that study you shared on one podcast a while ago about the the reframing of mm -hmm. anxiety by calling it excitement mm -hmm. that's just it you can call it something else like it, it's still you're still you might be experiencing it physiologically the same way mm -hmm. but you can interpret it differently yeah. and that changes everything and again like the thing that comes to mind when you say that is the traps where it's like, you can turn that into toxic positivity, yeah, you know, where it's like, yeah. Oh, I'll never feel anxiety. I'm only feeling excitement. And you're yeah. like shaking in fear, but you're like, this is excitement. <laughs> it's like, I'm fine. Yeah. 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. This is fine. It's like, there, it's, it's always both end. Yeah. It's always respect the emotion you're feeling, mm. but respect your interpretation of that emotion mm -hmm. and work together. Hold that tension to try to find a way through it mm -hmm. rather than away from it. Yeah. Going away from the emotion is not how you deal with the emotion. No. <sighs> how do you feel? Good. Good? I'm just like lit up right now thinking so much about emotions. Mm -hmm. So many emotions thinking about emotions. <laughs> I love emotions. Well, that's meta. I love emotions. Mm -hmm. Like every time I get to feel a, like a new nuanced emotion, it's just like, oh, I found a new spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah for sure like that's a funny thing is i've i've had this practice for a while now where every time i have it's actually usually negative which is probably a bad thing mm -hmm. i mean 
Yeah, it's probably a bad thing because like I, I should be doing this with positive emotions as well. Yeah. But I try to stop and identify what emotions I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the shame, jealousy, a little bit of guilt because mm-hmm. I feel jealous. You know, it's like going through that complexity of emotion yeah. and being able to like identify it and being able to, to yeah. develop that that spice rack, that palette of colors, you know? Mm-hmm. And like identifying it where, where it came from, like the source mm-hmm. that triggered that emotion in you, that particular cocktail. Mm-hmm. And then I think another thing is like through accepting of your emotions and allowing them is like learning how to speak to them because a lot of emotions come up in relationship mm-hmm. with other people. And I think the, obviously shame has a lot of use. Like there's a lot of, there's usefulness in shame, but I think it can also be a very like blocking emotion that keeps from. Yeah. It's the emotion of hiding. Yeah, Exactly. So if you feel jealous in a relationship or something, you're like, oh, I shouldn't feel that. Then you just like, you kind of block that out. Mm-hmm. You block that emotion from your, your palate. Yeah. Well, um, sorry, but, go ahead. I was just going to say something, but. Okay. I, I, I'm just going to like the opposite would be like through accepting of that. Mm-hmm. You can be like, I feel jealous right now and I don't have to let that fester in me, but I can like speak to it. And through mm-hmm. speaking to it, we can work through it together yeah. in relationship. Well, that, that's, I love that you brought up, did you bring up jealousy or did I? I think you did. Uh, yeah, yeah, I brought yeah, it yeah, up. Okay. In the context of relationships. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like you, uh, that's a perfect example because I, I remember having this conversation with somebody online where I was talking about open relationships and I said, oh yeah, I've dealt a lot with the jealousy where I don't like really feel it that strongly anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And this person had said, oh, if you're, if you're just not okay with open relationships from the get go, you're just repressing your emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. And I said like, no, that's not really true because when I felt jealousy, I, I told my partner, oh, I feel jealousy. Mm-hmm. I like, I, I, I identified it with my, with myself. I didn't judge myself for it. I gave myself love. It's, I told myself it's okay if you feel jealousy. Mm-hmm. I shared with my partner. She said, it's okay if you feel jealousy. And I kind of worked past it to the point where it was like, it was no longer this horrible thing because mm-hmm. as I said, I think I alluded, I'm not too sure if I said it explicitly, but Often enough, the thing that makes our emotions so painful is our reaction to them. Yeah. So it's not that like I was feeling this horrible jealousy. Mm-hmm. It's that I was feeling this little bit of jealousy and then perpetuating and amplifying it. Mm-hmm. But once I stopped doing that, once I like just allowed the jealousy to be there, mm-hmm. I found that the jealousy wasn't really that strong of an emotion to the point now where it's like, I don't really feel that much jealousy. Yeah. You know, for sure. And you let it, you let it pass. Mm-hmm. through speaking to it and not identifying with it not saying like i am jealous mm-hmm. but like i feel jealousy i'm experiencing jealousy like I've, I've experienced the same thing in open relationships and i feel like a lot of people think like people that do that are like unemotional yeah like you have to be unemotional to have a successful open relationship it's like no you just have to be aware of your emotions and not identify with them but be willing to communicate that yeah but again, that's, that's pathological. Uh, what's the word for it? I want to say sentimentalism, I think is like the, the movement that was kind of started by, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, I believe mm. is the first name. I can't remember his first name, but it was Rousseau. He was a philosopher and he was like, fuck logic. It's all about emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's just a horrible person. Apparently like, <laughs> ab- like abused his friends was just not a good guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's like kind of this like pinnacle of the, uh, of the emotion movement, let's say, cause I can't remember the exact term, Okay. but, uh, 
whatever you're feeling is perfectly is perfectly okay and like trust your feelings and all that kind of rhetoric yeah. but he went so far as like the most extreme emotions are the only emotions that are good and the more extreme the emotion the the better the emotion right and so it's not just simply being angry it's being you know raging mad it's not being um you know aroused it's being like the peaks of lustfulness where like you can't control yourself right and so it's like that's an example of somebody who's pathologized their emotional self to the point where like they can't have a they can't have just like a calm emotional experience. They can't have like a logical interpretation of events so that they can act in ways that respect other people. They're just at the will of their emotion, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, that's the emotional reason, reasoning that uh, Jonathan Haidt, I believe, criticizes where you completely remove any logic and you only reason based on what your emotions tell you. And so if it feels good, it must be good. If it feels bad, it must be bad. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the case. Sometimes no. something that feels, and you've, you said this before, like the bad emotions are sometimes like the most powerful uh, teachers about who you are as a person and what you've been through. And you need to listen to those, but you shouldn't just like define everything you do based on the fact that it feels bad, mm -hmm. right? The gym is really a good example of that because like, mm -hmm. it's painful to go to the gym. Don't roll your eyes at me. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, I was like writhing in ecstasy there for a moment because <laughs> something you said reminded me of something I learned on my trip. <laughs> we'll was, talk about that in the yeah, future. Yeah, that'll be yeah. another thing. <laughs> so yeah, like the, the gym is like a, a great example of that because you, you go through pain and you come out stronger, faster, more healthy, and you eventually learn to love that pain. Like mm -hmm. I like the feeling of pushing myself in the gym. Yeah. You know, and so like just because it felt bad doesn't mean it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of bad things feel good. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. It's okay. Um, but wait, how did this res how did this um, relate to what I said though? What was the connection? Oh, um, I don't know. Oh yeah, like <laughs> I don't. I freaking lost it honestly at this point. But but that was what you were gonna say. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like coming back to what you were saying, it's like, oh yeah, that like coming back to what you were saying, it's like you're talking about like identifying you with your emotions. Mm -hmm. Identifying with an emotion is being lost in emotion, where like you can only touch reality with that emotion. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's kind of what I said before about like making your emotion an object of awareness. If it's an object, it's not a subject and subjects are what we use to touch reality. Mm -hmm. But if I'm right, so it's like if something makes me angry, I'm using anger to touch that person rather than looking at the anger itself and trying to figure out why I'm angry in the first place. Because you can't listen to what anger is trying to tell you if you don't look at it to see why you feel that anger in the first place, especially given the fact that we have, have no idea how to deal with our emotions. Yeah. You know, like you talk about earlier about being able to trust your emotions to, yeah. to guide you in a way that's healthy. Mm -hmm. Nobody's mo like very few people's emotions are healthy. You think so? I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I honestly, I really do think that. And, and very few, very few, you know, I think like, again, it's a spectrum. It's a matter of degree, but I think that the way that our society is set up is, is specifically to make people emotionally unwell and emotionally yeah. distrustful of their emotions, the extreme rationalist side of things, yeah. or extremely emotional on the extreme end of like, not just technologies like social media that make us completely angry and lose our ma minds, uh, but 
uh, junk food, porn, uh, video games, all these things that people get lost into with addictions, those are like using our emotions against us to like make us waste our lives doing things that don't actually matter. That's very true. And again, like not to judge those things, but in extreme cases of their abuse, that's what I'm talking about. And so it's like, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, it seems, it seems everybody's getting fucked up emotionally. And so that's what I mean. It's like, you might be relatively grounded person who's emotional, but you're still being fed these narratives of unhealthy emotions. Yeah. You know, and a lot of those things that stimulate our emotions, like you talk about junk food, porn, social media, it's all very like low consciousness stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, it's, it's feeding on your unawareness. Yeah. Of those emotions and the whole, Mm -hmm. if it feels good, do it thing. Like all these things feel good in the moment. Yeah. So if you're being guided by that, then you're just going to do what feels good and you're going to keep going in that unconscious direction. Exactly. It's crazy. Like, I think that's one of the first things that you realize too. And like self-development and and through, um, and through meditation is that like, you can't trust your emotions. That's like the first, one of the first pills to swallow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, you can't trust it. And I, you know, and like I said earlier, that's like, I want to be able to trust my emotions. Exactly. Because like, that is like, like I, like we talked about, it's like, you feel it in your body. It's the mind body connection. It's listen, being able to listen to your gut instinct, mm-hmm. those feelings. That's such like a, it's like an ancient template of being that we've yeah. lost touch with. And now that you say that, honestly, like I feel that I became very mechanical because I learned that I shouldn't trust my emotions. Yeah. Like not only through, uh, the advice that I received from people, but also from like from books and stuff like that, but also mm-hmm. from, my experience because my emotions had done me wrong in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so like becoming overly mechanical and overly instrumentalizing of myself was necessary to get to a point where I could turn my emotions into objects so that I could understand them Mm -hmm. to be able to say like, okay, this is how I act with anger, but what does anger actually look like within me? Yeah. You know? And, And it's like, this is, this is how I want to act with anger, but like turning my attention back to the anger itself. Yeah. And, it just, it went too far mm-hmm. because I, I didn't have the kind of, I didn't have the kind of education that I needed mm-hmm. to be able to like not take it so far into mechanical instrumentalization, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to do with this podcast. Mm-hmm. I know that you want to do that as well. It's like not only have it as a tool for ourselves to be able to guide us forward, mm-hmm. but also to help other people like deal with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. You know, like I talk a lot about self-improvement and a lot about like living life uh, to the fullest and and be able to provide for yourself in society and stuff like this. But you might be someone who just wants a simple life Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing like condescending when I say that. And I hope it doesn't sound condescending, but being able to deal with your emotions in a way that's actually healthy for you Mm -hmm. requires that you do some of the work. Mm-hmm. To be able to really enjoy a simple life still takes work. Yeah. You know? Really, yeah, for sure. Anything else you'd like to talk about? <sighs> Not at the moment, no. Not at the moment, no? Okay. <laughs> Honestly. I think no. we're, we're almost at two hours, so. Yeah, okay. This has been great. Yeah. I've had a really enjoyable time having this conversation with you. <sighs> Thank you. Me too. <laughs> me too. I, uh, yeah.
That's I, I think that's like one of the best things that I get out of this podcast is I just enjoy these conversations yeah. with a friend is what it really comes down to. Oh, am and I it, a friend? <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, you are. So yeah, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you made it this long, mm-hmm. follow us on social media and uh, have a good day. And I wish you the best. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>